What is up? Welcome back to the 3C Podcast. It's Monday. You know what that means. Another conversation with the Juice team. And I have Elena, our growth marketer, back in the mix talking about building a user constitution. Yep, we're going to walk you through um, some foundational things that we're doing right now to get going, to get started, to launch this product. And Elena dropped it in to her update to me this week that I sh- share with our team. And I said, user constitution, that's interesting. I'd love to have you on the pod to chop it up and talk about what that means. So that's what we're going to do. If you like what you've been hearing on the 3C podcast, hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review if you think we're doing a good job. Join our wait list. You're going to receive a newsletter every week. The link is in our show notes, or you can go visit thejuicehq.com and sign up to be the first to know about when our platform goes live. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up? Welcome back to the 3C podcast, Monday edition. I'm excited. I'm not by myself. I'm not with Jonathan. I've got Elena back on the podcast. If you remember, Elena has joined us before. She's the growth marketer at The Juice. I don't know if we were Fathom at that point. Um, we're The Juice now, but I, I, Elena, I, I welcome you back. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, it's good to be back. And this is my first time since we switched over to the juice. So that's fun. Yeah, it's amazing the amount of, I, I, you know, we're, we were the name, which I shouldn't have mentioned, but I already mentioned uh, for a brief stint. And it's amazing that I s- still get notifications from people. And I thought we cleaned it all up and people say, oh, well, did you look in your like about for your LinkedIn page? Like, what is what does that mean? And I'm like, oh shoot! Like I should, we missed something. So going back and changing it, and then today, as a matter of fact, I was uploading some episodes for the podcast, and I was looking at our links, and our all of our <laughs> links that I'd use consistently were just linking out to old properties of our old name that don't exist. So I guess these are the types of things we go through as marketers and a startup that has already changed our name. Yeah, I was I've had a couple of those this week as well where it's just like, oh, I probably need to go change that link in the automated email to make sure it's going to our new Twitter account. So, I feel you on that. Totally. So, maybe before we ju- jump in and I'll set the stage for what I want to talk about, I'd love to just get your perspective. I think exciting for us, we we hit a a milestone maybe last week or so where, you know, through a lot of kind of our collaborative efforts, me more on the content and brand side and you on like the campaigns and growth of pushing out campaigns, got to over a thousand people signed up for the juice waitlist, which is awesome. And I think anytime in, you know, the startup marketing game, we should be celebrating these milestones. So I know before we kind of we're putting goals together. We all just put ridiculous goals that on the table that we all really didn't come quite too close to. But the uh, you know that thousand person plus number is is awesome, and I think that's something we should celebrate. Like, what has your mindset been like in trying to reach that point, and then obviously moving past that point now? Yeah, it's it's been a roller coaster for sure. I mean, it's definitely want to celebrate it. And I'm glad we did kind of celebrate it last week as a team. I'd say my mindset has been, 
it's an ongoing balance, I believe, because we are kind of going to war with this idea of chasing quantity over quality, because that's kind of what leads a lot of marketers to creating bad experiences. But at the same time, we are a startup and we do want a bunch of people excited for the platform before we launch, because we do believe we're delivering something of value to them. And so the more the merrier. So we want the quantity, but we don't want to create a bad experience to get to that number. So that's been really top of mind for me of like, how do we get as much quantity as possible without doing the things that we're fighting against? And it's been an interesting road, but I think, you know, between you and Jonathan, I think you guys all understand, understand this challenge. And so it's been nice to have experts to talk to in terms of like, how do we balance that? And like, what are you hearing from people that you have on the podcast and just taking in all of these external opinions to kind of come up with like, how do we make that balance work? Totally. And I, yeah, there, oftentimes I will start my day and we'll get to work and we'll think about goals and what do I want to achieve? And I'll be thinking about something a certain way. And it's almost like, I want like the guys from men in black to come in and just like with the mind eraser and like erase my mind, because I'll catch myself and be like, no, you, you shouldn't do that because that's what we're, we're fighting against, but that's what me and my career I've done the whole time. So it's definitely a, uh, I can relate. I think it's, uh, It'll be an ongoing struggle, but I think what I'm finding, and I don't know if you've seen signals of this just in your work, and if you have, please share, but like, I think you you start to see signals and things that you know that help validate the direction of the work that you're doing, and it might not be, oh, wow, like 500 or 1,000 people signed up using this link, but you start to see early indicators that say, okay, well, it might not be 500 or a thousand people, but it's like 10 or 20 of the right type of people. Do you have any thoughts on that just from your personal experience? Yeah, I do. Something I've noticed this week. So we're running Facebook campaigns or Instagram specifically right now to try and drive waitlisters and also to understand which pain points are resonating the most. I can tell that the pain points we're honing in on are working because when I look at analytics, the analytics for Facebook, then I look at the quality rankings they give you, which is the ad quality, mainly the ad quality and then the conversion rate. What I'm seeing is that sometimes our ad isn't the highest quality. It's either below average or average for a number of reasons just relative to everything else that's out there for that specific audience. But every single one of the pain points that we've been honing in on are have an above average conversion rate, according to Facebook. So, and that's relative to other brands advertising to roughly the same audience. So that's how I know we're on to something is that regardless of whether or not the audience that's seeing this ad thinks that it's visually appealing, or maybe, you know, we, used sensational language according to Facebook or whatever that is that's driving a lower quality ad, we're still getting people to sign up for the waitlist because they get the general message of what we're trying to 
solve. And that's really resonating with them. I love it. And I, I don't know, I, I, I'd love to know how many podcast B2B marketing podcasts from companies are out there that will ad- admit on air that a machine or system said they are putting out below average or quality <laughs> work. So I appreciate the vulnerability in sharing that because I think it's important. I mean, there's stuff all the time that I send out and I'm like, oh man, that I think that might've missed the mark or no one responded to this. So I think it's just part of it. And we're just trying to figure this out in the startup marketing land and roles that we operate in on a day-to-day basis. It's a hundred percent that. And it's also, you know, we're trying to move so quickly in growth that I just decided to start making the videos and the graphics myself. And I'm sure that kind of is driving a little bit of the quality rankings too. So, but that's fun. You know, I'm getting to test Canva and wave video and softwares like that to help me because it's more important to us on the growth side to try and test the messaging and see how that's resonating more than worrying about every last detail of the, the design. Yes. And we, I would say it is, I'm, I'm finding myself getting back into the roots of my old marketing days, which is great. I had this, like, I had this just opinion about like CMS and what we should use up front. And then I started using the, what we inherited from high alpha, which was Webflow, And Jonathan asked me last week, he was like, you know, we're moving forward with just like trying to figure out our systems. And, you know, I'm just curious, like your feedback. I know you were, you had some concern, but like, what are your thoughts on continuing using Webflow? And I said, I couldn't, I couldn't possibly not use it at this point. And that's because I, that's what I've been in and what I've been accustomed to and I'm used to. And it's, so it's, I think it's funny. And the message to the marketer out there is like, just kind of get your hands dirty, just do stuff, like figure it out. Even if it might feel or seem like it's outside of the scope of your role, if you're done is better than perfect. So just try to do it and try to get it out the door. And whether it's good or the market thinks it's good or not, chances are that you as the marketer will be better for it because you'll have learned something. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly what I've tried to focus on is the getting it out there versus getting it perfect. Totally. So I had you on because you sent me your updates for this week and you, I was reading through your updates before I put it together. And what I try to do just so the audience knows on just like a Monday morning, and this is nothing creative or groundbreaking, but we have so many different little standups meetings. We have priorities, they change. And I felt like if we could just have one communication that would go out that captured like our priorities at the beginning of the week and send it out to Jonathan, Elena, and myself, at least we'd have some something to point ourselves to when we were moving on through the week. And it would give us kind of a, a, a backdrop of discussion topics for our Tuesday meeting. So I was looking through Elena's update and on her update, it said user constitution. And I know user constitution is a big priority for Elena. However, I haven't asked too many questions. So I figured that's going to be great. Like, why don't we just do a podcast episode about it where I can learn more? So that's the primary topic of what we're going to talk about. But before I do that, I want to go back to the money well spent campaign because that was the camp that was the last time you were on the show, we were talking about the money well spent campaign. So maybe like recap with the audience what that campaign was and then just like what you learned from it. Yeah, absolutely. So in short, money well spent was 
our way of reaching out organically to our networks, our professional networks, and asking them to join the wait list. On top of that, it was called Money Well Spent because we were asking organically and directly so that we didn't have to spend advertising dollars on an ad platform like Facebook or Google. And instead of spending that money on an ad platform for every waitlist sign up, we donated, you know, over the course of the campaign, it was anywhere from five to $50 per waitlist sign up. That's why we called it money well spent because it was putting our advertising budget into a good cause, which we chose a charity called um, Kicking the Stigma, which is organized by the Colts and it's a mental health initiative. So we were donating $5 to Kicking the Stigma instead of donating or paying for ads on Facebook or Google. So that was the campaign. I would say what didn't work, as you can probably guess from the explanation I just gave, was there was just too much going on and too many messages. So I think what what happened was because we had no product at the time and we didn't even really have our official brand name, we were a new team. We were maybe a month in. We felt the need to explain a lot of the details to our audience. So that includes who we are, what we're building, why we're asking for people to join the waitlist, what happens when they join the waitlist, why we're donating to a charity if they join the waitlist. That just led to some really clunky, overwhelming messaging in the beginning. And it was a month-long campaign, so we did hone it in by the end. But I think that was the main takeaway for all of us, Was especially the marketers, was just that this is too many messages for this audience. And it would be more effective to just pick one main message and then try to get people to join the waitlist with that even if they don't totally know who we are and what we're about. So that was that was what what didn't work. I would say what did work is that, you know, we kind of learned or we knew going into it when you're a new company with no reputation as a brand, leaning into the reputation of your employees is probably one of your first kind of like your low-hanging fruit in terms of getting buy-in for whatever you're building. And so that's why we reached out to our perfect professional networks because maybe they didn't know who our company was or what we were about, but they trusted Brett. They trusted Jonathan, Eric, myself, that if we were asking them to sign up for a wait list, it wasn't some sort of spam or waste of time and that we really had convictions about what we were building. So I think that turned out to be true. You know, From a marketing perspective, I guess you could say the conversion rate of our networks was high once we were able to communicate what we were actually doing. I love it. And the one thing I will say on the did not work side, it might not have worked. And I agree. I remember at the beginning of that and I was sitting there and I was trying to over explain and get everyone to understand who we are, but then also why we're running this campaign and then what they should do. I think that experience has allowed us to level up the way we are thinking about things like designing our new website. And we've, we've had these conversations where I think you've brought up, you said, well, we got to remember, like we shouldn't clutter all these calls to action in one place because then no one will do anything. So I think we should, we shouldn't take for granted the fact that although we might've had a couple of missteps along the way, it was something we've learned and not only learned we're using it today as we're 
preparing our website, preparing our messaging and preparing to go to market for the launch of the juice. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I'm, I'm glad we all learned it together too. Cause that way, if one of like, if I forget, you guys can remind me and vice versa. And we can all be like, oh yeah, I, I remember that experience. Yes. We learned from this and I agree. I think we're, we're building smarter because of it. Yes. And let's just, okay. So let speaking of building, let's talk about the user constitution. So I think as just to, from a, from a, an awareness perspective, and if you don't already know, and you're listening to this podcast at the juice, we are building a, I'm going to say it, but it's pending. We're like actively working through this, a content marketplace. <laughs> we, uh, uh, this is a hot topic here, but we're calling it a content marketplace today. This is the part about being a startup. Stuff is fluid. Um, but there's two sides, right? There is, um, we want users or members to be on the marketplace consuming content, but then there's also brands and we want brands to use our platform to promote what they're doing, serve as an extension of their overall marketing, uh, build brand awareness for their content. So it's it's this interesting dynamic where we are, you know, having to communicate to two different audiences, but at the same time, those audience members can be one and the same too, which is very interesting. So as we're thinking through this, it makes positioning and messaging exercise fun. It makes thinking about how we want the website laid out to speak to both audiences fun. And we've pulled from several different examples of companies like Glassdoor, who, who we see doing something similar, companies like G2, who are doing something similar. So it's been interesting. And so I would say primarily when we both started at The Juice, we were focused on Elena was focused on member acquisition. I was focused on brand acquisition. Well, quickly realized that our efforts should been more collapsed and more aligned, which has been good. And I think that was a move that, you know, Jonathan brought us together. We talked about and we just made happen. Now, throughout this, I would still say like from a, a, a growth marketing, like user acquisition perspective, that's kind of your bread and butter. That's what you wake up thinking about every day. I think about that too. We just sent out a newsletter through Superpath. We're both aligned in there trying to get new people to sign up, to be on our wait list, join our newsletter. And I'm doing some brand building activities through the 3C podcast. It's kind of like Inception talking about, talking about this as I record and various other networking things. Now with that, you are very focused on the user experience and making sure people stay. And I would imagine through this would be like the, the impetus for having a user constitution. So I guess, tell me the idea of the user constitution, what, what it means, why, why it's in place and what, why, why are you working on it? It's basically a commitment to our members. Like any constitution, it's the, laws, I guess you could say that we are, that are built around our values. So it's where we stand and what we're committing to in terms of some of the big issues that affect our members. So that could be, it's, it's still in flux, but it's probably going to be like algorithms, quality of content, privacy, feedback. These are big issues based on, you know, everything that we've learned from 
companies that you mentioned, like Glassdoor, G2, but also Spotify, Facebook, Google, Netflix, where there's this interaction of consumers and then the content comes from other creators, other brands. These are the issues that companies like that, they face issues on these big areas. And we just want to commit to laws, I guess you could say, that are built around how we feel those areas should be handled. So when when did you come to the determination that like uh, something like the a user constitution was needed? I actually was thinking about this really early on, and I actually made it one of my goals within the first month of being at the Juice. It happened because we were having all of these conversations about, okay, we are technically part of a a B2B startup studio, but when you think about what we're building, it really is more of a marketplace or ecosystem where there's multiple personas or parties that need or want different things from the platform. And immediately when I think of that, I like I said, I think of these other companies like Facebook or Spotify, Google, G2, Glassdoor, and immediately there are big current events issues that come to mind that each of these companies has faced in a different way because of the complications that come with a marketplace or an ecosystem like that. Um, so like some of those, some examples might be Netflix, for example, you know, we talk about Netflix binging and and algorithm addiction with some of the social media platforms. You all obviously have like data issues with like Facebook and the Cambridge Analytica scandal. And, you know, you've got all of these, these major challenges and scandals and issues that come to mind when you think of these platforms. And I just wanted to make sure that we were setting ourselves up for success if we were going to become something like those companies, which, you know, I think we have the potential to do, and we certainly are a marketplace or an ecosystem. So it's better to kind of think through those larger issues in advance so that we're not caught off guard when there is a difficult question in front of us and we've got multiple stakeholders and they all want different things. We need to know, it would be helpful to know in advance, you know, what we've already committed to based on our values so that it's a little less gray area in the moment when there's a lot of pressure. I love it. Um, And that makes a ton of sense to me. I have no idea about this and I'm I'm not sure I have not been active in conversations, but I'd love to know once this deliverable is complete, where does it live? Like how, how, what are your thoughts on where it lives? I think it's very important that it's in a public place. So ideally on the website, also probably in the platform too, because, you know, not only is it helping us make good non-reactionary calls down the road, it's also just something I think we all agree that like our members deserve, you know, they deserve to know where we stand on their data and their privacy. So they should be able to access this pretty easily on the marketing website or within the platform. And also if it's public, I think that's just being public is such a a key because if you kind of hide this in the footer, it's a lot easier to kind of ignore it when these big issues do come up and to not really live by it or make decisions by it. And again, 
I think we have all great people on the team. We have awesome leadership, but there's tons of awesome leaders that like have these struggles when the company gets huge and there's money at stake. Investors have their own opinions and everything starts to become more of a gray area. Whereas in the beginning right now, it's easy for us to say, you know, we're small, not as many people know who we are. So it's easier to say, this is how we're going to act in that scenario. And then if we publish it publicly, we're more likely to stand by it. I think even when it gets more confusing and there's more pressure in the long term. Building the foundation, that's for sure. Um, and I love that and was hoping that you were saying you were gonna say it should be public and it should be available for people to read. I, I agree. And I think part of what we're trying to do is eliminate the the marketing manipulation or the magic hat voodoo that goes on in B2B that gets people sucked into somebody's sales funnel. And then the next thing they know it, they're receiving maybe a phone call from a sales rep and they're like, I don't even know who you are. Like, I don't even know what this company is. So I think like letting everyone know upfront, like what they can expect and what our position is with their data is super critical. Have you gained inspiration from some of those other sources that you mentioned before? Are there any companies that you want to call out for that you've looked at when trying to build this thing out? I, at this point, I've really worked my way backwards from, you know, what went wrong kind of scenarios. And I haven't dug in as much to who's doing it well. That's going to be a little bit more of an in-depth dive because obviously when things are going well, people don't write articles about it. Um, as often. So I do think on the surface level, I've seen there are some organizations that even like nonprofit groups that put out examples of what good data management might look like. So I'm definitely going to dive into that. I don't have specific names, but yeah, I've definitely started with like the biggest well-known brands and looked at the tough positions they've been put in and maybe when they didn't make the right call and kind of worked my way backwards from there and kind of thought through you know, what, what happened in that scenario? Like, what is the core conflict? Cause it's, I'm sure the media likes to make it look like, oh, Facebook's just evil or Google's evil, but it's really more complicated. Like you've got leadership who, like I said, they're thinking about what investors want, which they do owe that to their investors, but they also owe something to their consumers. And so I just try to think through what was that core conflict and how does that relate to our business? And then which companies maintained their values throughout, or if they didn't, like what went wrong. So that's really where I've started. And that's really been helpful for me so far. We're going to have you back on when it's finalized, because we're going to talk through it. So there's going to be a part two to this, but I guess in closing, there are people who have listened to this and are maybe might be thinking to themselves, oh, well, maybe this is something we should do or people that are starting a company that are saying, oh, this is a really good idea. Like, I think like we should be transparent and give our future users or members something that we can point to. You're deep in the process of building this out right now. I guess, do you have any like high level recommendations for anyone that might be thinking about putting a user constitution uh, together? Yeah, I, I think what really got me started on this was just envisioning that it it could happen to us. You know, we could, you know, I, I'm bullish on the juice. I think we're going to do well. I think we're going to grow. And 
these issues that some of these other companies have run into are happening often because they're so big. And so I think probably my first recommendation would just be like, imagine that you are big. Imagine that you're five or 10 years down the road. Like when you look back at beginning the company, what do you wish you would have put in place? And for me, that was a member constitution. Like if I'm, I want to not only avoid some of these major conflicts, but also make sure that our members are happy and they're satisfied and we're doing right by them. And I think there's probably a lot of other, there's leaders at some of those bigger companies that if they looked back at the beginning, they probably would have tried to put some of these values more concretely into place to prevent some of what they went through. So I guess I'm just saying all in all, imagine that you are five to 10 years down the road and you are the next Spotify or the next G2 like, don't think too small just because you're a startup. Sage words, words of wisdom. I, I love it. We shared a lot. Like, we're, we're trying to be as open and transparent as possible here at The Juice. Hopefully, you enjoyed this. And I, since Elena is on the podcast, I have to, if you're listening, make sure you sign up to be a member. Because if you sign up to be a member, you'll be a part You'll get the newsletter, but you'll be the first to know about how you can experience a frictionless content experience. Not trying to sound like an ad. I'm just trying to uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to help out our growth marketer here. Elena, thank you uh, so much for the time, good stuff. And when that user constitution is completed, we'll get you back on. Sounds great. Thanks, Brett. I had a great time chatting with Elena about the user constitution. I think that's going to help us out. Hopefully it helped you out listening to how we're thinking about communicating to our users right from the jump. If you like what you've been hearing on the podcast, hit that subscribe button. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Have a really good week. And I'll be back on Friday with a conversation with a content marketer that matters. 